Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Andy Allen is our guest. He's been with us a number of times. Andy serves as president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, which represents some 25,000 retail stores across the state of North Carolina. Andy, welcome back to the program. Delighted to have you back. Thank you so very much for having me, Don. I appreciate it. Well, we want to talk a little bit about retail sales. And of course, there's a couple of words that are being floated around right now that uh, uh, we're very curious about how they are affecting retailers in North Carolina. One of them is the I word, inflation, and the other is the R word, recession. And uh, of course, inflation, I think, is pretty clear to everyone who shops because you see prices slipping up. and that uh, creates some interesting problems for retailers. So how do retailers handle inflation? And uh, what is the ultimate effect that it has on their business? Well, I think for retailers, they're trying to manage manage and measure with their consumers about what their pocketbook looks like. And, and in some cases, you know, they are trying the best they can to pass along increased costs to their consumers but without pushing their consumers out the door. Um, you know, there's been a number of items certainly that have been subject to, to inflation. And we all see it when you go maybe to a grocery store and you pick up the item that, you know, you look at it and it's the same item you buy every week. And now it's 20 cents more, you know, than it was two weeks ago. Um, but in some cases you see, you know, dramatic spikes on some items and sometimes retailers, they try not to push all that increased cost on the consumers because, you know, ultimately that hurts the consumer. But, you know, I think also on the inflation side, things that, that are the normal inflation, but things that are sort of outside the ordinary. And, you know, one of the items right now that everybody's talking about is the price of eggs. And I think, you know, everybody's sort of shocked sometimes of, that a price of eggs at, you know, $5 a dozen or whatever, or, you know, or some of the organic ones, even more than that. And don't understand that you had, you know, the largest, uh, case of of avian flu happening throughout the country so all those birds had to get put down and that meant they weren't laying eggs which meant we weren't getting eggs to to put in the store and then it came at the, the time of year when everybody was buying eggs to bake for the holidays and so you had an increased demand and, and a, a, a depleted supply because of that which sent the prices up um you know hopefully that's coming back down but that's one of those items i think really sometimes shocks the consumer um you know, that's one that they sort of measure by that and milk and bananas and a couple of other things. So, but the consumers are trying to weather this, I think the best they can and retail, retailers are trying to help them weather this the best they can. And of course, uh, the price of eggs is kind of interesting because for years, eggs did not increase as much as many products through the years. I mean, they've always been sort of a bargain. That they have, and it's, you know, it's always sort of looked at as an alternative protein source and and again, you know, that an egg is in so many items that, that, that we buy, whether it's a cake or, you know, other desserts and things like that. So those prices are also, you know, affected, affected as well. Uh, but then you look at also things like, you know, soft drinks and, and, and other things that are in aluminum cans and the price of aluminum has gone up and now it's starting to drop again, and which is also good news. But, uh, you know, fuel prices dropped for a while and now they've creeped back up. And and that certainly has an impact on, on our consumers because of, you know, that increases the cost to the retailer as well. Energy prices, we've just gone through, you know, a, a fairly um, cold stint and, you know, it takes a lot of money to heat and cool those large spaces where the retailers are. And, you know, those are items, those are cost factors that get passed along to the consumer, unfortunately. 
Well, we've handled sort of the I word. Let's turn to the R word, recession. We keep hearing that word. This clearly would be a different kind of recession if we if we have one and if we are in it, because recessions are usually accompanied by large scale unemployment. And we certainly still have a big supply of people looking for people to do work. I was talking to one restaurant uh, guy the other day, a, a moderate sized restaurant, not a very large one. He said he'd had a different 175 different servers work for him during the past year. That's an incredible number. Uh, I mean, I, I said, well, how many do you have on a given night? He said 10. So look at the turnover factor. But uh, usually uh, unemployment is accompanied by widespread. Uh, I mean, recessions are accompanied by widespread unemployment. We're not ha- we don't appear to be having that problem in North Carolina. What are, what are you seeing and what kind of. Uh, forecast are they giving you as far as what kind of recession we might have if we have one? I, well, Don, I think you're exactly right. I think this is sort of a, a, a different type of recession if we're in one. We usually don't find out until a few you know a few months later that we were actually in one when we were in it. Um, but we're seeing the, the low unemployment, although, you know, you are seeing some tech companies lay people off. You know, you've seen some massive reductions, you know, Salesforce, a major, you know, tech type company laid off 10,000 people. I think it was last week or the announcement of that. Uh, and some others. So you are starting to see some some right sizing maybe a little bit on that. But I think on the retail side, and, and you mentioned the restaurant side, we're still very much looking for employees. I think a couple of things happened there. I think, you know, COVID changed so many things, but I think you had people that maybe had worked in a restaurant or a retail establishment now maybe moved into a gig economy and they're driving for Uber or they're driving for uh, for Instacart or, or delivering for DoorDash and, and doing their own thing rather than going and working, unfortunately, on the weekends and some of that for, for the retail folks. I think that eventually sort of shifts back because of the permanency and, and the positives of longer term employment. But right now, that that's a really hard thing to do. And then, and then the trade issue is as well. You know, we still have a, a high uh, demand for things like uh, commercial drivers, the CDL folks. We're moving goods in, in commerce, but we're seeing a lot of that. North Carolina is fairly fortunate at this point in time. I mean, we're seeing an influx of people from Illinois and New York and, and New Jersey and, and you know Michigan and places like that coming here. Uh, that is giving us a, another source of labor. But uh, but we're still very much in dire need. And you mentioned restaurants and retailers in the same boat of some of them having to reduce their hours or, or maybe close on an additional day just because one, they don't have the labor to staff it or they're worried about letting their customer service fall or third, burning the people out that there are their long term employees. Is there a need normal now that we've had we're in this post covid quarantine period of time? Uh, that uh, lasted a little bit longer, perhaps, than we thought. And did we learn some habits in that that are working against uh, long, long-term long uh, good habits? Well, I don't know that they're good habits versus bad habits. I think, you know, you saw a change and and you see this in the office space and it's affecting the economy as well of, you know, people not wanting to be back in the office. And I'm in downtown, Fayette, I'm in downtown Raleigh on Fayetteville Street and many of the towers down here are still empty, especially on Friday and Mondays, which hurts the local restaurants, which hurts the coffee shop, which hurts, you know, the smaller businesses that are collected down here. That has become sort of a new normal of people not wanting to go physically into an into an office. Um, I think it hurts some culture and connectivity with with the employer and the business, but it's it's making it more difficult uh, on a lot of the businesses that for years had survived around 
you know, those office workers. Um, and the employee has still sort of has an upper hand in that. Um, you know, a recession could potentially change some of that bargaining power that, that you that they have had at, at, at this point in time. Uh, but new normal as far as, you know, the way we do things, again, I think you saw people shift some and they maybe reprioritize their their life and their their time and other things. And instead of maybe working a weekend shift here or there, instead they're they're again turning on the the Uber or the Lyft and driving for a couple hours on a Saturday or Sunday. And so I think there's a question of does that shift as the economy continues to shift? I recently saw some new data that I had not seen before. I'm, in one way, it's not uh, a surprise. In another way, it, it's a little bit of surprising. But what day of the week would you think we have the highest traffic count? What, what day of the week? This, this is a trivia question, but it's, it also shows some of the information that you're talking about here. What day of the week is Wednesday is the, I would say is the highest traffic count. Well, you're close. It's Thursday, actually. Okay. Uh, and of course, the, the lowest Monday through Friday traffic count is on Friday, which makes some sense. And that also makes some sense why Thursday is probably high, because a lot of the traffic that might have been on Friday is occurring on Thursday. I just thought that was kind of interesting. I, my guess was Wednesday also, by the way, when someone asked me. Well, uh, and I, I would say, the middle of the yeah, I was saying Wednesday because a lot of the office or the companies and associations I'm talking to, that's sort of the day that they're asking everybody to be in the office. You know, it's a it's the middle of the week. And if people are working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or they're working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday is that peak day when there's the crossover, they're trying to get their teams together. But but back to the new normal, I had somebody tell me the other day that their CEO was begging their, these employees to come back for five, one week a month, five days. And they said they were getting pushback on it. And they said, you know, if three years ago we'd have told you you could work three day, three weeks remote and come into the office one week, you would have done backflips. But now it's pushing to try to get in for the five days, you know, once yep. a week. So that again, new normal, that paradigm has, has shifted and, and everybody's adapting to how that works. And there's a lot of people that are very productive away from the office, but it's how do you mix that together culture wise, I think is important. I think that's that. That's the key. How do you, how do you find the proper mix? What uh, just out of curiosity, is there a difference between how uh, working remotely has affected downtown retail versus retail shopping centers or or standalones outside the downtown area? Um, I think the outside the downtown area again, people that used to. I live in the town of Wake Forest. People that used to commute into a downtown or to the Research Triangle Park are not doing that near as much, and they are instead staying closer to home. Which means, you know, they're eating, they're picking up lunch closer to home. They're going to the dry cleaners closer to home in the suburbs or that standalone area versus coming and stopping at the dry cleaner just outside of downtown Raleigh, or, you know, again, grabbing their lunch, you know, when they eat out in downtown. Um, I think there's much more of a focus on, on people doing things closer to where they live. And we're such a commuter area that I think that, you know, not just here, but in Charlotte and Greensboro and Winston and some other places that I think the suburb side of it are doing much better than the downtowns. Or it's, it's, Charlotte, it's, the uptown, as they call it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlotte's always been uptown. I've never understood that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I grew up in a little town, and we. The funny thing was, we used to say we're going uptown to downtown. We'd say, uh, we're you know the downtown. We called the downtown area the downtown area, but when we went there, we called it we're going uptown. I've never understood that, but. Uh, 
Well, there's a lot of things I don't understand, so that's that puts me in pretty good company. Well, and one so, of the things, uh, yeah, go ahead. I would say one of the things you know we worked on with the legislature to try and help the downtowns, and you've seen some of this is the social district and allowing towns to create an area where people can have open containers to try and again re bring foot traffic downtown. I think you've seen that with remarkable success in places like Greensboro and even towns that are small like Tarboro and Ashboro and Franklinton and uh, you know, places like that, that have created sort of that outside space for people to gather um, and hopefully walk into other retail shops or other restaurants and, and spend their time or in the Greensboro, you know, that, you know, use that and people are getting a drink and walking to the Tanger Performing Arts Center. And, you know, Durham has just put one in place. Raleigh's got one in downtown. So I think there are some moves to try and help the downtown areas, but it's still difficult to draw people into them. Well, it's interesting because uh, none of the negative con consequences that a lot of folks were anticipating that might happen because of that, I haven't heard of any. So that apparently is working out pretty well. From everything we've heard, they've had no problems at all, uh, no issues at all in, in various sized cities. Our guest is Andy Allen. He's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. And we're going to continue our conversation right after we take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the continuing role of e-commerce, and we'll do that right after these messages. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, what? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, representing some 25,000 retail stores across the state, is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, Andy Allen. We talked about uh, inflation and recession in the first segment, and we talked about some trends of what's happening because of the post-COVID quarantine habits that we've now created. Let's talk a little bit about the, the role of e-commerce, because obviously, uh, I guess e-commerce affects brick and mortar some, but by the same token, a lot of brick and mortar people are also now getting into e-commerce. So how's that working out? Um, I think it's working out really well. Again, we have talked about COVID and, and positive and permanent changes. I think that is one that that is here to stay. But I think it's one 
that the e-commerce companies that were e-commerce only realized it's beneficial also to have brick and mortar and to be able to touch things and return things and do that sort of that sort of transaction. And the people that were operating solely in brick and mortar, I think what COVID taught them was we've got to morph and change and pivot and provide people access because the most valuable thing people have nowadays is their time. And so people value it much more, I think, than they did post before COVID. And so do I need to do you know curbside pickup? Do I do delivery? Do I do things that make it much easier on the consumer to spend their dollar with, with me to buy that shirt, that appliance, that TV, whatever it may be? And so no matter what size you were, you know, if you were a small independent boutique, you may have gone on and done Facebook Live and that you had never done during COVID as a way to sell items and keep yourself in business. But you saw people continue to do that going forward. And then similarly, I think you've seen that of things that they never would have thought of of curbside delivery or, or delivery in its in and of itself, you know, as a smaller business. There they had to do that. They pivoted, they did it, and they were like, hey, this worked. And it made it easier for me to reach my consumer and maybe compete with the larger retailers. So um, it doesn't come without problems. I mean, I think, you know, you, you're consistently seeing sometimes the e-commerce thing comes and it's the wrong item. And how do I get it returned? And for the retailer, is that more expensive to pay for the return than just tell the customer for that $4 item, just keep it? You know, and so I think there's there's still some th- some kinks to be worked out. But the e-commerce, it, you know, it carried a lot of retailers through COVID. And I think it's, you know, if they built upon that and built the infrastructure, I think it's really paying off for them in the long run. Well, you're seeing, uh, you know, almost every uh, large box retailer you pull up, now they've got these curbside pickup things. That's become quite a trend. Is there a percentage of how much business they're doing off those compared to their uh, in-store traffic? uh, Surfacing? It's still the large majority of it is still in-store. I would probably say from everything I'm hearing, probably you know, 7030 is still in the store for the for the primary brick and mortar store. Um, some go up a little bit more. Some are a little bit more, again, more focused on the e-commerce than they are on on the other. And then I think you have some companies that have it's their e-commerce site, but they're using third parties to send the items to you, you know, that are selling on their platform. So it's not actually running, it's not actually coming directly from that retailer, it's coming from a third party potentially. But you're also seeing retailers, the bigger boxes build, we call it the last mile, you know, you know, distribution that they're building these centers closer and closer to the consumer. So that because the consumer wants that item, they want it quick, uh, you know, but next day delivery sometimes doesn't work. Whereas the, going into the physical store does, you know, if you have a busted pipe in your house, Next day delivery doesn't do a whole lot for you, you know, for that pipe to fix that item. You want that thing now. So you're better off getting in the car and going to the store. You might still do curbside pickup, but you need to have both of those abilities in order to really be a successful retailer in this day and time. Well, the thing that uh, I'm I'm sort of a frustrated retailer. I came up, my dad had a corner drugstore and I, I loved to work in the drugstore when I was a teenager and, and, uh, but impulse buying, of course, is a large part of shopping. And uh, the problem is uh, that I would see for the retailer is if they are using curbside pickup, then the impulse buying is bound to be decreasing. How do the retailers uh, cover for that? And uh, is there a way that they can have the best of both worlds? Um, 
I, th I think what you're seeing in some cases, Don, and that's a great point, is the impulse buying is, is sometimes more difficult. Sometimes, though, and you'll see this on an e-commerce site, if you if you if you choose one item, you choose a, a pair of gloves, it may show that you can also get the toboggan to go with it. You know, and so they're trying to help offset that that uh, that impulse buying in a, in a different way. Or if you bought this book online, you know, have you thought about the sequel to that book, which so that you can get them both at the same time? So in some cases, that that artificial intelligence, that ability to know your consumer they're 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 addressing that you know there there are positives uh of the curbside delivery you know the we mentioned we we're down on labor you're not having to worry as much about that stocking of the shelf as much you're not having to worry about the cashier you know it's a curbside pickup the shoplifting potentially drops down a little bit so there are some positives to it as far as as streamlining your operations uh in in doing that or it's coming out of you know if it's being delivered to your house it's coming out of a central warehouse and the cost per square foot from a downtown or a, a suburban retailer is much more expensive than that distribution center out, you know, on the, the, the fringe of town. I had a friend who was in the wholesale business uh, and he developed through the years what he called his Milky Way index of checking out the economy. And uh, he said that he could tell how the economy was going by the number of Milky Way candy bars that he would sell. And uh, I said, well, how does that work? He said, well, when you're in a convenience store, and the kid comes up to mom and says, can I have a candy bar? And if times are good, she says, yeah. And she said, he says, if times are bad, she says, no. And he mm -hmm. said, it definitely is a, a decrease in the amount of candy in convenience stores, especially that sold. And so he developed this, index and he showed me about four years of data <laughs> don't call me one pretty pretty much right on have you have you ever heard of the milky way index uh so you know something similar i have a couple retailers that are really good and they're independent retailers at tracking you know month over month of foot traffic the number of people that actually physically come into their store location how many actually made a purchase and then what the what the basket size so to speak was on that purchase um, but there's certain items, yes, that they look at, you know, I've got a men, a member of mine who's a men's clothing store and, uh, he used to sort of look at it by ties sometime. Now, obviously ties, people aren't wearing them quite as much, uh, as they used to. I still have to wear one when I go to the legislature, but as you see now, right now I'm not. Um, so you've seen some, some changing in what those items are that people may, may impulse buy around. Um, uh, but I think you've seen during, you know, the last, three or four months, people in some cases trading down, they may be trading down in a grocery store from the brand name to the generic. They may be trading down from a cut of steak to a ground beef, you know, so you are seeing some of that. Uh, and, and that's somewhat of how people are measuring what's going on in their economy and their various type of retail. Uh, they've all got one of those items, but, uh, but that the foot traffic one, you know, if you don't get them in the door, you can't sell them anything generally. Tell me about self-checkout. You're seeing that is quite a uh, a change in the checkout process. Um, I still like to be checked out by a checkout person because it seems like every time I try a self-checkout, I, I have to get help. <laughs> uh, go ahead. And well, I'll say in the grocery space, I think that's really, it's an interesting sort of, and again, we keep talking about changes from COVID. Um, in, the, in the grocery space, we're still short on labor, but we also have a lot of, um, shop, you know, online shopping where somebody places their order for what I want my grocery order to be this week. 
And that employee that may have been manning the cash register is now running around the store packing the bags that you're going to come pick up, you know, three hours later. And so we have shifted some of the labor. We don't, you can't do that with it, with an automated type thing that that's got to be a person. So in some cases we are, we retailers, grocery retailers, especially have taken again, that maybe the cashier, the person that was, was running those cash registers and putting them to do, you know, the, the online shopping order for that person. So that when you're ready again, cause people value their time and you pull up and they put it in your trunk, you're out the door. That pushes more of us who want to who are physically in the store through the the self checkout. Um, no different. We were talking about your restaurant server. Um, you know, I was just at a, a national trade show for retailers, and there was some restaurant stuff there. And there was the robot, you know, that delivered as the server in the in the restaurant, and it brought your food to your table. You know, they put on table number three, and you put the tray on it, and it had all the food, and it went to table number three, and you picked it up off the robot. Just a just a lack of, uh, of of labor right now in the marketplace still. And of course, another trend you're seeing in uh, fast food restaurants is ordering by computer when you walk in the store. And that also, for an old guy like me, that throws me for a loop. I always have to look around and see if I can find some 12-year-old to explain it to me. And they always look at me like, boy, are you old? <laughs> well, I, I'm the same way. And I'll sometimes run it. There's a McDonald's in my neighborhood. I'll run in and try and get an ice cream cone. And I, it takes me longer to get through the kiosks, you know, than it does to, to figure out where that ice cream cone is on the kiosk. And if I could just walk and say, can I have an ice cream cone, please? Well, uh, the, the, all of that is supposed to, you know, you know, the ones that understand how it works, it, I think it does save some time. But for those of us that, that uh, uh, and of course, you know, if there was some law, that made all of them standard, I think that might be helpful too. I've always said it would be, I would like to see a law passed that has a standard uh, credit card uh, entry thing where you know which end of the credit card to stick in and so forth, but it differs from machine to machine. Well, Don, my 16-year-old daughter has no problem with those kiosks or how to work an iPhone. I think it's maybe it's maybe me and you versus versus the younger generation. I bet Jason can do it with no problem either. Well, Jason's Jason's getting some age on him now, but <laughs> but he's his kids are getting old enough that maybe they can help him out also. Are there any other trends like this that are happening in retail stores that uh, are supposed to be a convenience for the customer and probably also labor saving at the same time? Um, you know, we are, I think labor saving wise, part of that is tied a little bit to inventory. And we probably are trying to maintain in some of the retailers, maybe not in the grocery space, but in some of the clothing and some of those type of retailers, maybe a little less on, you know, real time inventory just because of, of overhead. Uh, but that also sometimes reduces the amount of folks that are having to stock the shelves. Um, I think you saw some additional labor carry over from, you know, the cleaning requirements we saw during COVID. I think retailers have continued to make sure they're providing a safe shopping space and they, you know, have doubled down on, on those sort of things and, and sanitation and cleaning and, and those sort of things. But not really anything else that I can think to of, of sort of a, a labor saving mechanism. The main things are, are, are your frontline retail folks. And I will say, we you know, a lot of kids, their friend, you mentioned you working at the drugstore for a lot of kids, their first job is in retail and uh, working as a bag boy or at the hardware store, at the grocery store. And we lost sort of a whole class of kids because of COVID, because in some cases, their parents were worried about them getting sick or worried about them enforcing a mask mandate. And so the kids didn't go into and work in that store. And unfortunately, they didn't get the customer service soft skills. They didn't get 
some of the things that they would have gotten had they been had that that opportunity. And so, but it also meant we didn't get that kid for the next summer, the next school year. And so we are down on that sort of labor too, that generally builds a future labor source. And so we're working on some things on that to try and help with that. But that's also a, you know, a very big concern of ours is the workforce development side. Well, that's uh, obviously a concern because uh, uh, what's the old term? Good help's hard to find. We've been hearing that forever, but now it, it's been sort of convinced to help is hard to find, not just good help, but right. just help is hard to find. Uh, that uh, seems to be a problem that a lot of people have, and that's not just uh, a problem of retailers. It's a problem of service uh, companies uh, and uh, manufacturing companies and research companies as well. Our guest is Andy Allen. He's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association that represents some 25,000 stores across the state, uh, ranging from very small mom and pop operations to chains. And we'll be back with another segment right after we take time out for these messages. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Andy Allen, the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. Uh, We mentioned earlier, Andy, that you have some 25,000 stores across the country. How many members do you have? Because a number of those stores, of course, obviously have multiple locations. So how many members do you have? We have approximately 2,500. That's gone up, you know, over the last couple of years. We're probably close to that, you know, 2,650 right now. When we, we usually do that right after the first of the year, do a calculation, but about approximately 2,500 stores located. I mean, store members with the 25,000 store location. And of course, the types of retail stores are apparel, furniture, book, carpet, uh, department stores, drug stores, electronics, floral, furniture, grocery, hardware, jewelry, paint, variety. I've just named a few of those, but that's basically the, the retail categories that I suspect most of your members engage in. Let's talk a little bit about the supply chain because that's also been a problem of the, the COVID quarantine. And, uh, we know that uh, the supply chain, especially from China has been interrupted due to COVID in that country. Is the supply chain situation getting better? 
the supply chains, it, it is getting better. Uh, you know, we went through a lot of rough patches there for a while um, and things that, that people, you, you know, use, for instance, dependent on computer chips. And, you know, those were a thing. And you mentioned issues in China. We were behind and you're seeing, you know, the United States invest more in computer chip manufacturing, but so many things run on those. But, you know, missing that one part, a lot of times, uh, if you were assembling in a wash machine or other things, missing the one part meant you couldn't put that item, finish it up and put it on the truck. And we've seen, a, you know, most things level back out. We also had issues supply chain wise with the price of containers and getting container ships from Asia and in and, 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 and South America and other places that we just couldn't get the ships here with the containers and get them off you know, the boat and get them loaded onto the rail to get them to us. And so uh, it wasn't just the manufacturing side of it. It was the whole logistics side of it. Then you throw in, and I mentioned earlier, a huge uh, shortage of commercial drivers uh, of getting those items from the rail spur to the distribution center and then from the distribution center to your retail shelf. And so all of those things got disrupted for various reasons. I think, again, some of those things are starting to smooth out a little bit. Um, we're still seeing some issues with certain, you know, commodities and those sort of things. But for the most part, I think everything's leveled out. I mean, we are at, we as a society, you know, expect to go to the grocery store and see 50 varieties of ketchup. And, you know, when the one that you love is out, everything is, is, is the, the world has gone to an end where, where there's still another bottle of ketchup there. And so we're, we're a very lucky society in that. Um, but we move through that a lot of that, and I, and I hopefully you know it's a, a situation that the supply chain is, is issues are, are getting behind us. You mentioned earlier generic products or store brands. Uh, what percentage of the business is, is is that a percentage of business that's increasing where people are buying store brands and generics instead of name brand products, or is that stabilized? Um, I think that is increasing again because of, of the cost of, of food and the cost in, in grocery, the inflation that we solve, you know, from the input products and, and those sort of things. And I think for some consumers, it depends on what the item is. I mean, if it's a, a box of pasta, sometimes they're much more comfortable about buying that than they may be about buying a generic milk for instance, of something like that. So some of it depends on, on what the product may be. I think the other thing that, that we're going to see, and, and this is sort of something that a lot of folks aren't aware of, um, we have had, because of COVID and the national emergency, supplemental food stamp or supplemental SNAP benefits throughout all 50 states that are getting ready to end um, next month. And I think in, in rural, rural North Carolina and, and in, in a lot of areas with low-income consumers, you know, they've had supplemental SNAP benefits on top of their normal benefits because of COVID that are getting ready to go away. And so I think you have a lot of retailers trying to figure out how do you manage that. Consumers may trade down more because to make their SNAP benefit dollars go farther going forward. So you may see even an increase um, over the next few months of those products just because of the price differential between a generic product and a brand product. Well, the computer has changed retailing to a large degree because now uh, everyone has the resources of, I guess, what we call big data, where the, the retailers know more about consumers than they've ever known before. Uh, on the whole, has that changed anything or, or were, are we still looking for how to use that big data to not only the benefit of the retailer, but also the customer? 
Very much so. I mean, that that is uh, the use of data, no matter what industry you're in, whether that's Major League Baseball or it's uh, retail or whatever it may be. People are using data for all sorts of things. Um, but it also helps you serve your customer better. It helps you serve, helps you figure out what to put on your shelf. I've got an independent retailer, uh, grocery retailer, who through his data realized that his uh, percentage of Hispanic products were increasing dramatically because of the population change in where one of his stores was. And so he revamped, you know, part of his his shopping aisle and increased the number of Hispanic uh, products, you know, food products in that store solely because of his customer base, you know, and, and, that, and what they were buying. He has another store that he didn't increase as much because it was a different population demographic. And so I think it, it enables the retailer to better serve their their customer when they understand better who their customer is and what their customer may be buying or not buying. Um, you know, you see items get pulled off the shelf all the time. And part of the reason is because they're not selling. And so, um, but it, it enables you to, to look at that much deeper. And in, again, in some stores, and I, the same item, same retailer, when it flies off the shelf in one place and doesn't move at all in a different place. And so that allows us to better serve the consumer to, to know more about your consumer. One of the things I've noticed about social media uh, is uh, uh, it depends on who's using the computer. Uh, my daughter was over at my house and ordered some makeup on my computer. And now I'm getting all these social media advertisements trying to sell me women's makeup right D data so analytics. sometimes it back, backfires a little bit D data analytics um you know it's but but it, again those are things that it enables a cons a retailer to to better hone in on their consumer and and maybe they send you uh you know not you but maybe they send your daughter when she buys a, a coupon for for the the makeup she buys you know or here's the yeah. special on this on this item you see that a lot in the grocery space I've been told by people who are in the coupon business that the return on coupons is really much smaller than people would think. I wonder what it is about coupons that don't, don't uh, make that a much bigger category. Because the person who was talking to me said, you know, if all the coupons were exchanged, some of the big companies would probably go under. <laughs> well, and I, th I think you've seen the coupon business change dramatically when it went digital. I mean, where people are not physically cutting one out of the paper anymore and taking it physically to the retailer. And now you can load it on your various loyalty card and, you know, and it's a coupon that's there. So if you, you don't, if you forget it, when you go to your, you know, you go to your retailer and, and you put your number in, it's there for you to use automatically. Uh, I think they made it much easier than than that. And, and, you know, you see you get targeted emails from retailers. Uh, they can change. They can check the open rate and see what's moving customers to bring foot traffic to their store and utilize that coupon or not. So, again, it, I think that computer ability has, has really allowed the retailer to better serve their customer, provide them, you know, the value that they're looking for. One of the things that the uh, sports teams are doing now is they're ticketing by computer and uh, people my age feel very uncertain about it. And so they're basically printing theirs out. <laughs> uh, I certainly do, but my daughter feels very comfortable with it. And of course, there are some advantages because you can transfer the tickets much easier if you have a friend meeting you at a game or something of this nature. Well, well Don, my uh, problem with that is when I go to the game and there's 50,000 people there, the Wi-Fi doesn't work very well, and I'm standing there trying to get them my ticket, and it's spinning. Um, so yeah. note to Carter-Finley Stadium, improve the Wi-Fi. 
Well, it's, uh, I, I think there's still a lot of problems with it, but uh, they, they seem to work it out. But I feel very uncertain. I, I, I want to hold something in my hand. <laughs> the same way with airline tickets. And, uh, I, I agree. I just, uh, I guess I'm old school and, and having difficulty getting out of that. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about, uh, right now, about uh, theft or shoplifting, because this is a major cost to a retailer. And it basically it runs the cost up for uh, the the honest customer because somebody has to pay for it. Right. Uh, is uh, any new uh, ways of detecting shoplifting that uh, is cutting down on that uh, that problem? Well, you know, the, the shoplifting has changed so much. When I started in this in this with the Retail Merchants Association twenty five years ago, everybody viewed shoplifting as a crime against property and not as a crime against people. And that has that mindset has changed dramatically. I mean, unfortunately, you saw the, the the gentleman from Home Depot in Hillsborough who was killed in a shoplifting incident where he got pushed down and hit his head and passed away. And, you know, you've had organized retail gangs in Charlotte area busted with four hundred thousand dollars plus of merchandise. And uh, you had the, the lady, you know, the one of our members over in Cary who had her store busted into and, you know, handbags stolen. Those that organized is crime is now being focused on as a crime against people because it's also tied to human trafficking or opioids and those sort of things. I will say North Carolina passed what most are considering to be the strongest piece of anti-shoplifting legislation in the country last year uh, with a bipartisan uh, effort with, with good, strong support across the board unanimously from Republicans and Democrats. Um, who, who looked at this and said, this is a real societal problem. And they dramatically increased the penalties for, for these organized retail crime rings. They increased the penalties if you assault a retail employee while committing a, a, a shoplifting, or if you destroy property, you smash the jewelry counter. They, uh, they also gave the ability to seize items used in these shoplifting cases, seize the car, seize the the, the vehicle sees other things. So North Carolina, I think, has really responded to that. There was a big bus recently in the Kings Mountain area, and Homeland Security, who was very in, engaged in, in organized retail shoplifting, pointed to this law and said, more states need to do this because this is going to keep this from happening in our state and push them to other places. And so we're really encouraged by, again, the bipartisan support we got from, from the legislature. We're looking at additional ways that we can attack that this issue. We, we have a group that is a partnership, private public partnership between law enforcement, district attorneys, and retail and retail loss prevention employees called the Carolina Organized Retail Crime Alliance that we we have housed in our office. And uh, they do an amazing job of working together to fight these organized retail crime rings. Because as you mentioned, that all gets passed along to the customer. Those are, you know, those things w- that walk out the door for free. Uh, we all pay for it. And so uh, it's very important that we continue to, to, to work on that issue. And of course, uh, for years, people have had uh, security cameras, and that I guess that's cut down some. But uh, some of these schemes of uh, shoplifting, uh, by, especially by organized criminals, it, are very clever. I mean, they, they're, they're using their wits. Yeah, they switch barcodes or they do return theft, you know, with things. But I also want to caution people. When you see, you know, uh, these items, power tools or things or over the counter medication or Tide Pods or, you know, infant formula, 
on a Facebook marketplace or an eBay or those sort of things, and the price is too good to be true, it's probably because it's stolen. And in some of those cases, the over-the-counter medication or the infant formula, if they're not stored properly, they don't carry the same nutritional value if it's a infant formula or the same medicinal value if it's medicine. So be careful what you're buying, both those items and counterfeit items. Uh, but I would really caution people to, to, you know, buyer beware. If the deal looks too good to be true, it's probably because it's stolen. If the guy's got 50, uh, you know, chainsaws that he's trying to unload, he probably didn't get one, you know, 50 of them for Christmas and now wants to get rid of them. So just be careful with what you're buying. Well, the old adage, uh, if it looks to be too good to be true, it probably is. It and, probably and, uh, is. Very sound advice and something people should listen to very carefully uh, because, as you said, these things just don't happen uh, uh, except on very rare occasions. Our guest is Andy Allen. He's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. We have one final segment coming up, and uh, during that time, we're going to talk about challenges and legislation that might affect retailers, and we'll do that when we return right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is a 1992 graduate of Elon University, who also has a law degree from the Wiggins School of Law at Campbell University. And he has been with the Retail Merchants Association for I don't know how many years. He can tell us in just a minute. And that would be Andy Allen, who's the president of this organization that has some 2,500 members representing some 25,000 stores across the state of North Carolina in the retail area. Uh, Andy, how, now exactly how long have you been with the association? So I, I in May will be 25 years. Uh, some people just can't keep a job. <laughs> they keep so, coming, uh, they keep so, bringing me back. So it's, uh, we 25 years has been a great, it's been a great experience. Well, you've seen a lot of change. What do you, what do you think is the biggest change you've seen in retailing in that 25 year period of time? That may be an unfair question, and I'll give you just a second to think about it. I think the advent of e-commerce, I think, you know, if you would have told me 25 years ago that, 
you could order something and it might be on your porch in an hour, I would have told you there's no way. Um, to me, that's the the speed and the and the the uh, of retail that has changed in the last 25 years yeah. and the morphing together then of the e-commerce and yeah. the brick and mortar has, has been a dramatic change. Yeah. You know, we've talked about e-commerce and we've talked about, we have not talked about direct mail catalogs as a competitor to retail uh, retailers or, or uh, we haven't talked about that. Maybe we should, and, and we'll do that on another occasion. But right now we want to talk about, uh, tax reform and any legislation that affects retailers that is likely to come up in the next session of the General Assembly, which is coming up right around the corner, and uh, also any federal legislation that is uh, likely to affect retailers and therefore affect consumers. Um, you know, we're looking forward to this legislative session that starts on January the 25th. They just had the swearing in and, and organizational session, you know, last week. And uh, we're really excited for to, to work with folks on both sides of the aisle. Um, as far as tax reform goes, you know, we've been a, a major voice in, in the as the legislature has changed the, the, the way you know things are taxed. We've seen a dramatic increase in corporate income tax, which has made it better or easier for North Carolina to recruit companies in here and create jobs. Uh, as well as the franchise tax being lowered and those sort of things. One of the items we're looking really hard at is, is it's sort of intricate, but is um, retailers collect and remit sales tax to the state every year. We're the, probably the largest tax collector, and we do that for free. Uh, there's no remuneration for that and no compensation for it. But we're also paying credit card fees on the sales tax that we're collecting. Last year, the estimate was retailers and restaurants and hotels and people that collect sales tax paid I think it was $166 million in North Carolina to credit card companies on that 7.5%, 7.25%. So you were collecting it for free and giving it to the state, and now you're also having to pay to do it, basically. Um, you know, that the number of credit card transactions went up dramatically during COVID and made it a much bigger deal. So that's one of the items we're looking at very hard. Um, on the, in the alcohol space, we, we've had an issue on uh, what's called split case fees that some wine wholesalers are charging retailers. And I think that's going to be an issue that's going to bubble to the top. We've had a lot of conversations with the ABC commission, but what that's, what's happening with that is it's reducing the, the variety of wine you're seeing on store shelves and increasing the price point of it uh, because of what some of the fees that the, the wine wholesalers are charging. And then a really interesting one, I think that, that consumers, I uh, hope will get around is, um, in a lot of states, even control states for alcohol, like Virginia, they allow retailers there, grocery stores and others to sell a product like a high noon, which is a low alcohol, uh, seltzer type product, but it's made with spirits. So it's made with vodka or gin or those sort of things, but it's less alcohol content than a glass of wine or a uh, craft beer and some of those items. And so we have been working to try and see if we can sort of move through and get those items where they're more easily accessible to consumers um, and, and to restaurants and to other places. Because right now, because of North Carolina's stance, we're seeing very little of the variety of product that you're seeing in South Carolina, Virginia, and other states that are allowing retailers uh, to sell that product at the grocery store level. And so that's one that we're also focusing on. Um, and then I think we, we continuously focus on things that 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 affect the bottom line. I mean, things like unemployment insurance, workers' compensation insurance, tort reform, those sort of things are, are big ticket items for us. In the healthcare space, we do a lot of work in the pharmacy world. 
um, about making sure that, you know, they're the most accessible healthcare provider you had. Most people got their COVID vaccine and their flu vaccine, and they got their COVID test and their flu test and those sort of things at the pharmacy level because of a federal law that will be going away soon. So we want to work on trying to make sure that after three years of being able to go to the pharmacist to get your vaccine, that you're still able to go be able to do that. Many of the things that retail merchants are in favor of are also very good for the consumer. There are many times, I guess, when there's legislation that there's sometimes there's a winner and sometimes there's a loser. But in the particular case that you're talking about with retailers, usually most of the changes benefit the consumer as well as the retailer. That's an interesting situation because that allows you to get support from both sides of the aisle in, in a, uh, uh, a much more effective way. Well, and I, and I think, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a legislator and I'll say, we, have, we, we need to talk with you about this piece of legislation. And they'll say, I don't understand. Why do you care? And we will say, because this and this, and here's why. And we touch the consumer. We're the front line of that. And then by the end of the conversation, they're like, now I understand why you really care. Because again, you, you are the front line. You're the messenger in, in these situations to talk with the consumer. And whether that's something, you know, dealing with a pharmacist talking with a patient or whether that's the cashier uh, or how you buy items in the store, um, you know, those are important relationships. And so, um, as you said, those are items that cross both party lines. So very similar to the organized retail crime and the shoplifting issue. Those are issues that you know, are important for the consumer because otherwise it raises the prices or consumers get items that are counterfeit or have not been properly stored. And we lose sales tax on those items that are stolen that, you know, it doesn't go into the coffers to pay for schools and roads and things like that. You know, I asked you earlier what some of the biggest changes you've seen in your period with the Retail Merchants Association, and you mentioned e-commerce. Uh, you know, if you're as old as I am, you go back to the 50s and we had blue laws in North Carolina and retailing just was practically non-existent on Sundays. Uh, that uh, that I was trying to explain that to my grandchildren not so long ago. And they said, you mean stores weren't open on Sunday? And of course, that uh, um, was one of the things that uh, was really prevalent, especially in North Carolina. You also had a trend back in the 50s where entire retail uh, sections would close up on Wednesday afternoon. Everybody wow. closed up. Well, so there have been a lot of changes through the years. Yeah. And, you know, the, um, the, the Sunday oh, yeah. that you the Sunday that you mentioned, you know, most recently the issue was the earlier Sunday sales of alcohol. You know, could you sell yeah. alcohol on Sunday at 10 a.m.? And it started out as a on-premise brunch bill. But what we worked through with a lot of legislators was it was also the most prevalent shopping day at the grocery store because people were buying their groceries for their kids' lunches for the next week or they're buying their meals for their week. And sometimes we're having to make two trips because they went in early Sunday morning and bought their items and they wanted a bottle of wine to go with their dinner one of the nights and they had to come back to the store. And so, but but that was the most recent sort of feeling around the blue laws was every other day of the week you could buy alcohol at 7 a.m. except Sunday, it was at noon. Interesting, interesting. Lots of changes, and and of course, uh, people's attitudes towards those changes uh, also come into play, and people become more and more uh, liberal in their thinking as far as what's right and what's wrong, and uh, that's uh, just something that happens year by year and day by day with different families and so forth. Uh, so you mentioned uh, 
tax reform as being one of the things. Any other legislation, especially on the federal level? Uh, prescription prices, of course, always seem to be a concern uh, with uh, people who uh, are dependent on prescription drugs, especially maintenance drugs uh, like insulin and so forth. Any Anything happening there that uh, could control that uh, price a little bit better? Because well, yeah. insulin is a old, old drug. It's been around forever, and yet the price keeps going up. Right. And I think you've got, you know, you had some legislation federally last go around to try and cap the price on that. Um, you know, th that's sort of a, an interesting dynamic in that you have a manufacturer of a drug and in, in the United States, they get a lot more patent protection than they may get in negotiation than they get elsewhere. Then you throw in in the middle a, a health insurer and then the, the patient at the end. You know, I think, you know, the question I think in North federally and in North Carolina, do you see some, you know, reform in the Medicare for the for the elderly and the Medicaid for the for the for the the lower income folks of of how does that work out for people and uh, getting people sort of out of the donut hole of of who do not have coverage I think is a bigger issue I think for and for retailers too the other thing we always hear and for a lot of folks is the price of health insurance you know how do we get that lowered how, what can we do on a state level or a federal level to to try and reduce the cost of health care. Well, one of the issues that the General Assembly is probably going to face early on is the extension or expansion of Medicaid. And uh, they, there seems to be a consensus, especially about, among the leadership now, that that is a good thing, whereas North Carolina has been slow to, to get into it. I think the leadership certainly is not going to push it. Uh, how will that affect retailing? Well, on the retail side, you know, we have a lot of employees that sort of fall on that gap that they, 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 they're they a working poor. They do not make quite enough money to to uh, they make too much money to qualify for Medicaid currently, but they can't necessarily afford health insurance because of the price point of it and not being able to keep the price point of private health insurance low. So there may be some opportunity, especially in rural North Carolina, to have more of our employees um, employed or covered through through Medicaid. I think the other thing you know that you're seeing is in these conversations whether you have a a work requirement, which is certainly something you know that that the leadership and the governor are looking at. But then on the, the other healthcare side of it, I mentioned we represent pharmacies. Um, you have a lot of people that, you know, that are choosing between their medication and putting food on the table or paying their power bill. So you would have the pharmacist in the state would be, you know, dispensing more prescriptions in the Medicaid program than they currently are doing right now. You know, we've been encouraging legislators again to continue to have those, you know, constructive conversations to see where they can get to on, on, the, on this issue. It's obviously probably the issue that's going to dominate the session at the beginning of the year. We've got a, a very, we got about 30 seconds for you to tell people how they can find out more about the uh, North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. What's your web address? So our web address is www.n as in Nancy, C as in Carolina, R as in R Ralph, M as in Mary, A as in Andy.org. So ncrma.org. Um, find us there. We're on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, all over, you know, social media. But I would say, you know, we, we've got a, we are very lucky in North Carolina. We have a very strong retail community. That's the fabric of so many, so many communities that we all live in and go out and support your local brick and mortar retailer is my main message. Andy, thank you very much for uh, a great program with a lot of good information. And we will look forward to being back with our listeners. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our program has been produced by Jason Kahn. As I said, he'll have another guest for us next week. 
Until next week, same time. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.